0: Hey everybody, welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. Maybe you're a musician just starting out who's a little nervous about performing. Or maybe you've been performing for years and you still get anxious before playing a show. Or maybe you have to give presentations at work and it stresses you out to talk in front of people. Today's episode is all about performance anxiety. We're going to understand what exactly performance anxiety is, and we're going to give you lots of tips and techniques for overcoming performance anxiety so you can just get on stage and do your thing. All this coming up on today's Music Therapy. Hey, everybody, welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois, and I am also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Music Therapy is a mental health podcast for musicians and music fans. And today we are talking about performance anxiety. And I love doing the episodes where I talk with another therapist. I learn a lot, and the therapist episodes are really popular episodes, so I know you guys like them too. And today I'm talking with Dr. Claire Kubisa about performance anxiety, a.k.a. stage fright. I've had multiple musicians on music therapy talk about performance anxiety. Jess Vicious of Bunny on episode 67, Savannah Dickhut of Burr Oak on episode 73 are a couple recent examples. My engineer, Joshua Wint, suggested we do an episode to help people with performance anxiety, and of course that was a great idea. So when I first started researching therapists who could help on this topic, I kept getting pointed to sports psychologists. And at first I was slightly puzzled, but it really makes a lot of sense when you think about it because we're essentially talking about getting in front of people and performing something you've been working on. And that's why this episode is so helpful, whether you're a musician or anybody who has to get in front of people, the experience is essentially the same. And Dr. Claire Kubisa is a sports psychologist based in Elmhurst, which is a suburb of Chicago. And she is so busy, she is already booked with clients through June of this year. She works with athletes, but she also works with musicians and other performers on performance anxiety. We tailored our conversation to be more musician-centric, but there's plenty to extrapolate from this episode no matter who you are and what you do. We have lots of information in this episode on really understanding performance anxiety and specific things that you can do to alleviate and manage performance anxiety. And we also talk about setting goals and ways you can methodically work towards big goals and dreams that you have. There's plenty of resources in this conversation and I put all of those in the show notes at musictherapypodcast.com as well as a full transcript of our conversation. I'm going to start off with a little bit of music, and then we're going to turn to my conversation with Dr. Claire Kubisa on performance anxiety. This is my song, The Waves, and all the great keyboard work you hear on this song is by my bandmate Joshua Wentz, who also engineers music therapy episodes. Here's The Waves.
1: Settle for my Betty, year letting you on
0: that was my song, The Waves. Visit jessicarisker.com to hear more of my music. And now let's turn to my conversation with Dr. Claire Kubisa on performance anxiety. Okay. I'm here with Dr. Claire Kubisa. Thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: So when I I've interviewed uh, lots of musicians now. And one topic that kept coming up from people who haven't played out very much to even people who have performed a lot was performance anxiety that kept coming up in our conversations of something that people commonly struggle with. And so I, uh, my engineer actually was like, we should do a, a show on this, which makes perfect sense. And when I was looking for somebody to help with this topic, a therapist, um, I kept getting pointed to sports psychologists to help with this, which I wouldn't have necessarily thought of on my own, but it, it kind of makes sense. Can you, can you, um,
2: why, what's the connection there? Sure. So as a sports psychologist, I mean, a lot of, a lot of sport related issues are tied back to performance. Right. And we think of musicians and I could put it a lump it just along the same path as an athlete when, you are going up on stage or have whatever coming up. It's just like if I were a basketball player and I had a game. So it's, you know, we practice, 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 but it's all for this big performance that we're leading up to. And so the, the underlying psychology behind that is very, very, very similar. Um, so sports psychology, where we, what we look at is the underlying psychology behind training and performance and athlete identity. I think it's very similar to musicians um, across the board. Absolutely. So what is performance anxiety? So performance anxiety, if we look at it, it's actually, um, it's very similar to social anxiety. And if you are familiar with the social anxiety diagnosis, um, how it changed in the DSM-5, the most recent one, right? Um, it It's related to some worry, excessive worry about how we're going to perform or have a certain task to do and maybe how others think about it, or if we have the skills to be able to perform that task at hand. Um, Clinically speaking, we can diagnose performance anxiety under the social anxiety diagnosis as the performance is a specifier, right? Um, So if somebody is just struggling with excessive worry worrying about oh oh, what if I screw up here or I don't I don't get it right and all these people are watching Um, and that's only related to let's say when they're on stage then we look at just specifically performance anxiety that specifier under social anxiety and the social anxiety piece comes back I think you had done a podcast prior to it when I was looking at your prior prior podcast on social anxiety so I won't go into all of that but it's really about like worrying about what others are thinking about us when we're performing a specific task or doing something in front of others, right? And and how we're coming off and what we're looking like. And so with performance anxiety, it's really just specifically though, when we are performing our certain task or the, the, the thing that we've chosen to do, right? So if it's music, music, if it's sports, whatever that is.
0: So obviously there's the social component to it and we're focusing for the moment at the the cognitive aspects. So the things that you're thinking about, the things that you're worrying about, and the social aspect being, you're doing this in front of people, and you are concerned about how they will perceive you. And so that really brings us to the importance of your performance as being really tied in with your identity. You know, how are they going to see me in this role? I wonder if you have any any thoughts on that or can speak to that?
2: Absolutely. I think that identity is, is huge in any type of work that I'm doing with performance anxiety or just general increasing our performance. So we do look a lot at, when I work with athletes in particular, of how their athletic identity and how that makes up part of them. And if they were to lose pieces of that, what would be left, right? And I think this and similar can happen. And I do work with musicians, actually, um, with musicians. of They've worked so hard at this part of their life, and it's actually like complete part of them. And if I were to screw up on this one thing that I say is part of me, then what does that say about me? You know, then who am I is really kind of like the big question that it comes down to. So I think there's two components there, right? The, The social aspect of other people evaluating, but there's also this major component of me evaluating myself. And if I can't live up to what I've said that I am, then what then what am like what am i what is this what am i doing
0: i'm really curious when you ask people to explore that what do they what do they say if you're saying if you're if if that's not part of you what are you left
2: with do you have any so a lot of my work i shouldn't say a lot of my work a decent amount of work when we are looking at identity is can we find like a balance right can we find is are there other parts of you that you haven't explored or that you want to or that maybe we should beef up a little bit so in case there are these parts that we can be a little bit more flexible with our performance in music let's say right so if that doesn't go well we're not going to come crashing falling down because we also have these other parts of us that we can honor too right but if they put all eggs in one basket And that kind of all, we don't, maybe not come crashing down, but like it doesn't, we don't want it to be, not all of our eggs are all lost, right? Because we have now other parts of us that we're honoring and able to like increase our awareness of, right? Building up and having balance with other parts of our identity.
0: Could you um, maybe give an example of, you know, other parts of somebody's life that they may also turn their attention to? To make it a little more concrete of sure. what you're
2: talking about? Sure, sure. So I'm very concrete example. I'm working with a um, an athlete right now who has put their life into sports since they were seven years old. That is all they know. They have they've neglected friendships. They've um, neglected family relationships. They've neglected... Um, m- actually, music is a very important part of their life. They've neglected that. Um, all to put all of... Their focus and intention into their sport. They're a very successful athlete, very successful. Going to be, they're on a, the U.S. A U.S. national team. Um, but at this point, we're starting to slip a little bit in our sport, right? And noticing, oh my goodness, what else is what else is going on for me? We're noticing some sadness and some depression-like symptoms. And so, to help this person explore, well, what it, what would it like it look like if I developed friendships outside of my sport? Because right now, the only friends this person can turn to, and I'm going to put air quotes here, friends are the friends in in the sport with them right now. Outside of that, at school, no friends, right? Yeah. So how do we develop that, those friendship, what it means to be a friend outside of sport? Well, how do we develop and honor those pieces? How do we develop and bring it back in music? It was a big part of their life before like really diving into the sport. How do we how do we help this person develop and honor that without taking away from their sport, of course, because that is still very important to them, but also Mm -hmm. allowing them to, you know, honor this piece of them that is missing and, and contributing to some of the sadness because all they know is this one thing.
0: I could probably, this is really interesting and probably could spend too much time exploring this, but I would also think that, um, there'd be some grief there. If you're, you know, thinking about, first of all, maybe the, the, the main part of your identity has been either the sport or music and you're, that's changing, but also maybe other parts of your lives too. Like given so much to this and actually a way I kind of neglected these other parts of my life that could also be complicated. I would
2: imagine. Yeah, Yeah, you're absolutely, absolutely right. I actually see that a lot more in in transition from like let's say collegiate athletes or actually um i have this this uh client right now who is a musician who um was transitioning out of studying it classically like in college and then moving out of that and what does that look like when we don't have all that support right and how what that what that piece is like and and like you said kind of having this grief process and my a lot of my job is like normalizing that right Like this is very normal. This is what happens. Let's let's allow this process to happen versus trying to resist it, because it is a big part of you, but we also change. We all have different seasons of life, as I know, I'm sure that you know, right? And so let's let's work with that. Let's move into some acceptance of that and to mold what we want your, your craft still to be as part of your life, but it may have to look a little different, show up a little different. And how can we, how can we honor that?
0: This is really interesting. So I, yeah, like I said, I could spend a lot of time uh, thinking about this, but I have to be careful to pull back to performance anxiety because, um, (laughs) which is, which is totally me on me here. Um, Let me refocus to, so we were talking about performance anxiety. And the question was, what is performance anxiety? And we were talking about um, how it's kind of a subset of social anxiety. There's this big cognitive factor. What are people going to think about me? What do I think about myself, my own identity? Um, What about the physical component of performance anxiety? What goes on in your body?
2: Oh, yeah, it can vary by person, but it's very similar to... Um, just general anxiety, but again, just pops up around that performance piece, right? So what typically can happen is increased heart rate, increased breathing rate, um, increased skin conductivity or sweating, right? Our hands start to shake. Um, Maybe we we call it, you know, racing thoughts. Our mind just kind of all over. We may feel, we make, you may feel completely blank, but I also say that that's usually when our our mind is racing so much, we can't even like grab on to what, what is actually going through our mind. Um, Some people feel like their kind of like world is kind of crashing in the rooms, getting smaller. Those are um, again, like more kind of cognitive things, but also kind of this feeling or a tightness in our chest. Um, Usually this all pops up leading up to the performance and while we are in the performance.
0: I've had um, musicians talk about their performance anxiety, and some of them will say it'll be even days leading up to a show they have coming up that it will begin um, and growing in intensity to when they're sitting in the green room right before they're about to go on, that it can be um, a days long experience for some people.
2: Absolutely. So we start to look back at like all the the cues or the triggers leading up to that event, right? And then usually the perspective that I that I practice from is more of a cognitive behavioral or an act focused, right? So thinking about what are we telling ourselves in those moments. So as the uh, performance is getting closer, of course, your pro- your mind is probably shifting more to oh my goodness, it's a couple of days away, and maybe you're pr- you're practicing in certain ways or meeting with your team of setting up the state or whatever it is, you are being cued more and more as we start to lead up to it, that this is a, this is really happening. Right. And so the way that we talk to ourselves is really important as we, as we lead up to this performance and that with the mind body connection, right. Really translates to then our physical symptoms that you may start noticing a couple days before a week before. And as it gets closer, that's where our intensity increases because now the meaning and the realness of it is increasing as well.
0: You know, something that's really interesting to me, the idea that our bodies don't really know the difference between what is real and what are just our thoughts. Totally. So if you are really imagining a a tiger in front of you, even if there's no tiger, your body can respond as though there's a tiger And just the power of that our thoughts have on our body's responses. And so when you're talking about really paying attention to what's going on there mentally or cognitively, that feels like it's so important. Is that the place to start? Or do you recommend people start by calming their bodies?
2: You know, it really depends on the person, right? Um, Some people it's really, really difficult to know what's going on in our mind. And when people struggle with, when, my performers struggle with understanding what's going, like what I mentioned before, sometimes our mind is racing so fast, it's hard for us to grab onto what's going on. I then turn to, okay, let's focus on the body. The body will tell us like what's going on, right? So let's focus there and then start relaxing those things. So I bring up um, the cognitive triad, right? So there's the, the thoughts, the emotions, and our behaviors, they're all interconnected here, right? And so if we can't, Address the thoughts right away. Let's, let's shift to the behaviors, which are physical sensations that are going on. Right. And so we'll turn to, I'll use meditations with a lot of performers, right. Or we'll do a body scan just to like get an understanding of where, what's going on in our body. Where do we feel stress? You know, um, and I have a great example. I'm working with an athlete right now who is finding very difficult time finding what's going on through our mind or even like grabbing onto and holding onto those things. So we have started with the body and noticing that we're carrying a lot of stress up in our shoulders. So we're working right now just to start relaxing that area, you know, as part of their pre-performance routine, which is something I can talk about a little further into what a pre-performance routine is, because that's really important for performers to have that are experiencing even if you're not experiencing um, anxiety prior to performance, but but including these things that will help us kind of just no, increase awareness, notice, and then mm-hmm. doing something about it. So yeah, the body—it depends per person, right? Some people are like, "Nah, body's not for me." I, I totally know what I'm telling myself. So then we'll address that, right?
0: That's yeah. So you're really working with the person, and that's kind of um, good for maybe a musician to know: Am I able to kind of figure out what I'm thinking here, or is this just a total body response, and that might help with your entry point on how to
2: address the anxiety you're feeling before a performance absolutely yeah it's tough for it's tough for people to catch on or hold on to thoughts, or maybe you know what you're telling yourself, but as you mentioned before, our mind is like super powerful, and we may have bought into the lies that our mind's telling us, right, and so we know what we're thinking, but we're like, ah, oh, that's you know it's the truth, so why would I? Why would I address this, you know? Oh yeah. That sounds tricky. What do you do there? <laughs> so just a lot of a lot of education around that, right? Of talking about, yeah, how our mind does our, we have thousands of thoughts a day, right? Everybody does. And it's a matter of us holding on to them and following that path or choosing not to. And a matter of how many times we kind of repeat that to ourselves without zooming out and asking ourselves is this the real truth I talk a lot about from like acceptance and commitment therapy there's this this concept of fusion being fused with thoughts and then me helping them become defused when we're fused with thoughts it's really that we've like I describe it as like our nose is up against the wall mm-hmm. and that's all we see in front of us right so we are our, our thoughts at that point have become absolute truth to us we don't take some time to we we don't have the awareness to step back and say is this really like based in truth maybe parts of the thought is but because we've been telling ourselves that so many times over and over for years now we just believe it it's 100 percent the truth all the time and so my job is just to kind of point that out and we like start to like slowly step back from that right and start to challenge those thoughts a little bit and say how how much truth is this like what percent? like just smaller like what percentage of truth is that like what if we tried something different right that's why I said this I tell people all the time this is why I have a job so we all get stuck in these thoughts (laughs) this is why us as therapists have jobs so it's not just you know one off and one person and this is a little
0: this is a little bit of a side note but are you familiar with Byron Katie and the the work that she does Yes. yes yeah um yeah, that's making me think of that. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. Um, I won't go too far into that, but but it's very much a technique for, I think, helping people to question something that they're holding on really firmly to. Um, what are some, you know, you were, you were saying that we have thousands of thoughts a day and when I'm working with people as a therapist um, and working with their thoughts, we'll find that often they're having... Tons of variations, but on maybe the same basic idea, their thoughts. And so kind of helping them, um, you know, kind of distill it down to what's the core here? What are you thinking about? And I'm curious if there are thoughts or sort of core beliefs that you notice that are really common that just seem to pop up for people over time? Like what are these core thoughts people have that are related to performance anxiety?
2: Yeah, specifically with performance anxiety, the biggest one, the first one that comes to my mind as you ask that is I'm not enough. I'm not enough. And that usually, yeah, that usually ties back to that identity as this person, right? If I can't perform and I can't show up this way, then then and we distill it down just kind of like you're talking about so my job is okay that's the thought but then what's underneath it right what's that core underneath it it's I'm not enough you know if I can't show up here then I'm not I'm not this person that I'm I was supposed to be or meant to be and tell myself that I am and I'm not enough not for myself not for other people watching me I'm not living up to what maybe I told them I'm I'm gonna be so that would be the one that like the common thread I found throughout a lot of performers is I'm not enough
0: I'm not that's such
2: a um, heartbreaking thought. It? I know it is. Um, I don't think a lot of, you know, again, part of my job is, <clears throat> is helping them kind of understand that. I don't think a lot of people when they come in here understand that that's really what were that core belief that a lot of these other thoughts are kind of stemming off of, but if we can, what I found to be really helpful is just helping them first understand it, then challenge that. But also when we can, balance out their identity a little bit more, they can see that, that they are.
0: So we're, you know, in this conversation, we're bypassing a lot of therapy to get to some root thoughts here. I'm not enough. And, and that's, you know, it's, it's great to contemplate, um, but pulling back out a little bit, um, I actually want to use, so I've been performing as a musician for a long time and I don't feel the anxiety I used to going on stage, I think, because I've done it so much, but I do a monthly music therapy group session show where I interview a full band. And I always feel really nervous before that. And my, the reason I'm bringing that up is because I think that my anxiety, when we're talking about how people experience performance anxiety, mine is almost a dread. Like I get grumpy and irritable. I kind of don't want to do it. And I'm not feeling like Fearful or scared, even though I think that's underneath it. But is that something else that you see people experience people having before
2: a performance? 100%. So I'm an athlete, and I would say that that was typically my response, too, right? And, um, I think that's part of like the self sabotage, right? Of okay, (laughs) I'm just not going to show up, and I don't. And then that's an avoidance piece, right? Of oh, you know, my mind's telling me I just don't, just don't do it, and I can avoid it, and then I don't have to feel that anxiety, right? Um, I think a lot of that, the way you're talking about it now, you've put yourself in in positions to practice and get better and get used to getting comfortable with that uncomfortable feeling, so now it doesn't even show up for you in certain certain. experiences right but when you have like a bigger meaning attached to something uh you know of, oh also i'm needing to show up as this expert i'm maybe leading this interview and i'm needing to show up as like leading the ship here and i need to be seen as this person that knows what they're talking about or whatever it is um that can bring a lot of that kind of dread oh i just don't want to feel those feelings again right um and if I would be lying, if I didn't say, I didn't have some of that for myself too. How about coming here today? I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be put on the spot. I better know what the heck I'm talking about. I have a PhD in this stuff, right? Um, other people are going to be listening. I had something similar to that, but just allowing yourself to acknowledge it and acknowledge that those thoughts are there, right? Versus trying to fight it off um, can be really, really helpful. And also like, kind of like lean into, I know that if I do this, how I feel at the end, um, lead into more of those positive thoughts a little bit there too, and the positive feelings and also reminding yourself how much you have practice and you are prepared for, for what's, in, what's ahead of you.
0: I feel like for me, and I'm not saying this just because I'm trying to get free therapy, but I'm trying to give an example of my life, real life. This is, this is how it goes. Because as you're talking, I'm, I do have this feeling every month when this comes up. And I think mine is always about, are people going to come to the show? You know, and if Uh they don't come to the show, if not enough people come to the show, they're going to cancel the show. And then I'm going to look like a fool in front of my music community and this thing that I've been trying to do and trying to create. And so as we're talking, I'm thinking about all the thoughts that are accompanying this anxiety that I feel leading into the show and just try to be more aware of what that feeling is about. Because I do have that feeling of like, I just dread this. I just want this to be over, even though I usually have a good time.
2: There you go, right? So at the end, you're usually like, or even in the middle of it, or the whole thing, you have a good time, but leading up to it because of those, the, the mind, you're making, your mind's kind of telling you some funky stuff, right? Um, and so what I would say is, well, you've done it several times. What's like each month, right? What, what happens usually? Like, what's the, what are your past experiences like? Do people show?
0: Depends on the month. Sometimes. Okay. Yeah. But yes, people come to the show for sure.
2: Has there ever been a time like when nobody has come? No, no, no. (laughs) So just kind of like smaller stuff like that. We just, we really need to remind ourselves and challenge that, right? Maybe it's, and also kind of understanding where we're setting the bar for ourselves. Sometimes it's okay to lower that bar, right? You know, if you want, I don't know what your show is like, but if you want 100 people there, is that a realistic bar we need to be setting, right? Or is the bar, I just want, you know, five people and I'll be happy, right? So Mm -hmm. understanding where that bar is and what our mind is doing with that and those expectations and and challenging that a little bit can help. So how do you help? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and I, also, and I also tell people, you're not going to believe this stuff right away, right? I'm going to challenge it. You're going to say you're gonna be like, no, yeah, no, nope. it's never, we've never had no show, but you're not going to believe that right away. The, the key in this stuff is we have to repeat it to ourselves. We have to like constantly kind of come back to that just like our mind constantly goes to the negative it's our job to say okay I know you're over there but I'm gonna I'm gonna come back here and repeat this to myself because then that's when we start to believe that when we're on repeat with the more positive and helpful things Mm -hmm. um, versus the more negative and not so helpful stuff which we've been on repeat for a long time so that's why we think it's the truth now so it's just it's taking a lot of effort to kind of shift and put on repeat, you're not gonna believe it the first time around. It's not gonna be super super helpful and make all your anxiety melt away the first time around. In fact, we don't want your anxiety to melt away completely because it's actually a really important component of performance, which I can talk about too. Um, You know, a big part of my job is helping people understand that performers understand that anxiety is actually a good thing to have for performance. And a lot of people look at me like I'm nuts. but if we don't have any of it, we will be performing not well either. Why is that? Why is some anxiety important for performance? Sure, there's this um, there's this thing called, or law called the Yerkes-Dotson Law. Are you fam- familiar with it? I'm not. Okay. So it's, um, it's a, it's I, I tell you the name, you don't necessarily need to know it, but I tell you just to kind of share that it's based in a lot of research and the Yerkes-Dotson Law, tells us that it's um, basically, imagine a normal curve, right? Mm -hmm. In science, I actually probably have a drawing here because I use this a lot, so hold on. I know this is just audio, but I'll show you. Um, I don't know, I can send you maybe a link to put in show notes. Sure. But we have um, this normal curve, and you see on one side there's performance, on the y-axis, and on the x-axis there's arousal or stress. I also, Mm -hmm. um, I call that anxiety too, right? Okay. And so... You see if performance or if our arousal stress is really low, Mm -hmm. our performance, where does that? It's really low as well. Mm -hmm. If our arousal stress anxiety is really high or at the peak, our performance is crap too. Uh To have performance at the peak on this normal curve, we have to have a nice little balance. And the graph shows us that it's the middle, right? The middle midpoint. But that can look different for everybody. Maybe my curve has shifted a little bit. I know that I need a little less anxiety or stress to perform well, but I Uh still need some of it. I still need some of it because as you probably know as a therapist, our emotions can be really, really helpful because they provide us a lot of information. They can be very motivational, right? So Uh we want to have some of it. My job is not to help you eliminate it. It's to help you work with it and to contain it in an area where it's helpful and not hurtful.
0: Is any part of that, um, that a certain amount of anxiety is helpful because it actually um, primes the body
2: for some sort of physical activity? Yeah, sure. Or just even imagine if you didn't have, if you didn't have any kind of like worry or expectations or thoughts about what was about to come up, you're like, ah, whatever you may not prepare how you would need to in order to perform. So you wouldn't be prepared for, prepared for it. You wouldn't have any meaning attached to it. So why would you need to perform well? Right. It's like, Oh, whatever. It's just this thing. Right. I don't care if I, if I fail this test, I fail the test, whatever, you know, yeah. if I flop, I don't care what anybody you know, thinks about me. So you may not perform at the peak where maybe you, where you want to, or, or maybe it has no meaning for you anymore. And then that's when we need to look at it a little differently too. Right. Okay. Do we really need to even be doing this? But Absolutely. Then it also preps your body a little bit to say that's an that emotion piece. that preps our body to say, okay, I need to get up and get ready to perform. It gets our heart beating a little faster if, mm-hmm. if you're doing more physical work during your performance. Absolutely.
0: So let me ask, I want to talk about, I want to go back. I have some questions about um, expectations and then um, maybe we could talk about some pre-performance routines or some way to manage what? anxiety. So the idea of expectations, you know, a lot of um Going back to the idea that your expectations may be informing your anxiety if you're having um, maybe unrealistic expectations for your performance, for the turnout, for the results, that that's something that you will work with people. A lot of athletes and a lot of musicians have big dreams and they have big goals and they're ambitious. And how do you how do you work with people to say, you know, maybe you're you're expecting too much here? I imagine some people may not always be happy with that thought. Most, most people do not like that
2: thought. <laughs> so um, how do you work work with them through that? Totally. So the way that I operate with that is I look at, I, I'm a huge goal setter with, with performers. I think it's really helpful to have like concrete goals, right? But then work our way back. So I describe it like a ladder. I like to imagine a ladder, you know, and top of the ladder is our, you know let's say end of the season goal or however we're kind of kind of conceptualize that right and the way to get to the top of the ladder is by developing the rungs underneath right a lot of time what happens is that with the top of the ladder is the only thing we have on our mind you know and that's where I would say that the the expectations we need to shift them a little bit right like we can we can absolutely have top of ladder but I wanna shift your expectations like as we're working our way up there to focusing on these rungs to help us get up there. Right. If we didn't have any of those rungs and we're just focused on the top and you try to jump to the top and you don't make it right. And you fall, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to, your ego is going to be hurt. You're emotionally, maybe even physically. Right. So let's focus on developing these rungs. I'm not telling you to eliminate the absolute top, but like, how can we bring ourselves down to maybe more of the process versus the overall outcome, right? Because we will get there, but we need the process to get there. And so then let's say like, you know, you have the end of the year showcase or whatever it is as a musician. Are there smaller performances along the way that we can focus on here and setting like smaller process goals on those things as we work our way up to the top of the top of the rung?
0: So to if if we could to try to give this these examples even more concrete, let's let's just imagine that a musician is planning a release show and it's going to happen in a month or two. And their top of the ladder expectation is, could we say, I want a huge turnout and I want to just kill, kill it. I want to do great with my band and just blow everybody away. So those could feel, that could feel like a lot of pressure. That could create anxiety. So to break this down a little bit to the concrete, the, the, the lower rungs, what would some examples would, would yeah. you think for working towards that top of the ladder?
2: Well, first I would ask him, I would, I would myself would want to be more concrete on the what, okay. So what's a big turnout to them, right? Okay. Would define that. Right. And then, okay. um, when I'm, when I'm working through these expectations or goals, I like to work under the, the frame of a smart goal, mm-hmm. smart goals, which is SMART stands for specific, measurable, A is attainable. I actually changed that to adjustable. R is realistic, and T is time-based. So we have the T. That's the let's say in a month, right? The specific part of it would be let's put a number on. I want I want 150 people to show up, right? right. That's where okay. Um, uh, the uh, the A I say it's adjustable. So we want to make sure that you we kind of help shift your mind a little bit. If I don't meet that goal, let's say 130 people show up, am I gonna be okay with that? And can I adjust my mind to say, okay, that's still like a nice big turnout, right? R is realistic. Does the 150 people make sense for for this? If I've if I don't know I don't know, like if I've come, I've done a release party before and two people show up, if I'm now expecting, you know, mm-hmm. a couple months later, 150 to people to show up, is that realistic? That's the big part of like helping shift that a little bit of the expectation there. Like really helping people sit down and say, what is the realistic piece of this, right? We, we also want goals to be a little bit out of reach. That's what keeps us moving and striving and working towards something, right? So we don't want it like to be no brainer, I'm gonna hit it because otherwise what do we have to work for? Yeah. I make sure that that's still a realistic goal, like somewhat within our reach, but not completely, right? Um, and then T, we already set the time base. So I would be more specific on those goals. And then to help them underneath that, I'd say, okay, so what do we need? We, I would probably work weekly or daily on goals, with, right? So, okay, in a month's time, if we know we want 150 people at this release party what what can we be working on this week process wise what behaviors what things can you do this week that will help you work towards that that release party goal right that that number can you chat with xyz can you send out invites can you flyer or poster areas around whatever it is to help you right and be very then we do smart goals around that how can and really the the focus there is the behavior what can we be doing and small pieces to work our way up to that, that la- the run of the ladder. If you want to kill it, your performance, you want your performance to kill it. Okay. So h- what does that mean to you? You know, and then underneath that, well, what can we be doing day to day, knowing that that's your end goal, but we're not, we're not, we've said it. Now we kind of come to the moment to moment, right? I work a lot with mindfulness skills too, of like moment to moment, bring yourselves back to this present moment. What can I do right here and now? that i know maybe it doesn't make sense like if somebody were to look micro just at that how that would relate to my end goal but if we add it little by little makes a lot right what can i do right now day to day that will get me to that end goal
0: that's great i mean just talking through that i think that that is really helpful and so important you know many performers to have the idea that they want to be successful but what you're saying is well what what does success what does that exactly look like we're talking about a big turnout what's the number you know what let's make it concrete and let's figure out actionable steps you can take to get there and um i think the other thing about if you really sit down and plot that out that can feel really empowering you feel like it's not just this big elusive thing that you have sort of an idea about but you've got action steps
2: to do you can actively be working on it you're bingo yes. a lot a lot that ha- with performance anxiety a lot what happens and with anxiety just in general our mind always flies off to the future right and that's we don't have any control over that what's going to happen in the future but that's why I like to set the set the goal and then let's float ourselves back to this present moment this is what we have control over right and that's why I say a lot a little by a little makes a lot so let's focus right here the one percent plus one percent plus we're going to get there we just have to keep Constantly bring ourselves back to this present moment, have some actionable steps. I'm a big proponent of like actually writing this stuff down, mm-hmm. posting it somewhere where I know that's what I'm working on. Um, also working on a lot of kind of shifting our minds to to um, <clears throat> being okay with boring, because some of those smaller things can be rather boring, you know. Sure. But getting really good at be- like being okay with these boring smaller things as long as you can remind yourself that it is connected to this bigger goal.
0: Do you see that when people implement that, that they may down the road, are they more inclined to do
2: it again? Do they see
0: the success of it and the power of that? 100%
2: 100% absolutely right I get a lot of eye rolls a lot of oh that's not gonna work you know when I first ask them like let's break it down really really small I'm like well what the heck does this but once we can get even to like the end of that week and they go oh my goodness even just like increase confidence in yourself that you can can achieve these smaller things right mm-hmm. that will help motivate the behavior move down the line absolutely let's because I know
0: um I want to make sure to talk about this and I I really appreciate your time. I know you've got a client coming up, but can we maybe finish out by talking, you referred to a pre-performance routine. Can we, you know, maybe, maybe imagine somebody who uh, knows they have a show coming up either in a day or two or today and kind of use that as an example to talk through some of the broader ideas you have about a routine they could, Manage
2: the yeah, anxiety. absolutely. So, pre—this so is can be really, really helpful for uh, performance anxiety. Is having a pre-performance routine, and I want you to think about like pre-performance. It could be at any point prior to the performance. So it could be, in fact, I I do encourage like smaller routines along the way, right? So you mentioned some musicians ha- start to experience some anxiety a couple days or weeks before. So even setting up routines in those moments too, if we know that that's when the anxiety is going to start to creep up, then that's when we do it. If it's not, maybe then it's just an hour before the performance or five minutes before, whatever it is. But when we're thinking about a, a pre-performance routine, routines are so helpful to kind of cue and prep our body to say, hey, I'm okay. This is what's going to happen. And I'm you know going into the thing. So in any routine, it depends on, and I always come back to that Yerkes-Dotson Law, right, of understanding, like, where does this person's anxiety need to be? Some people may need to be, like, really hyped up before something, right? They need to be jumping around, like, you're jamming out, whatever it is, like, to really increase their anxiety a little bit, right? Other people, like myself included, need to be, like, lower and doing meditations prior to a performance, right? right? So it's really figuring out what is, where that, where that line needs to be for you, and then in putting things in the routine that's going to help support that right so usually what i what i would encourage is some type of relaxation piece to for those people that need to be a little lower on the spectrum here and that's usually where i see people it's not i've had few and far between people that are like no i need to like be jumping around and you know doing something before to really hype myself up so relaxation can be you know breathing just like Focusing just on nice, big, deep belly breaths can be doing some type of meditation, can be going for a nice little walk, getting some air, air and sun on your face, right? Um, I would also, encur- I also encourage having t- some type of like mantra or saying that they are, or maybe it's a couple song lyrics that really speak to like centering and grounding and calming yourself in that moment that they would include in their pre-performance routine. Um, things to really just like ground yourself in that present moment to just be present, right? Right there, then and there. That's where where we have the most control. So those types of things, and again, that can kind of start any, at any point prior to performance, five minutes before, hour before, whatever it is. It can even, you know, can go back to what are you doing the night before? What's your dinner like? Do you lay out your clothes or, or whatever it is? Like, come up with the set list. I'm sure you do that already, but is that part of like a routine or are you kind of like haywired with it going into something, right? So being very intentional about these things. And then after you you kind of understand what you need to have in your routine, then getting really good at consistency with it. Because when we get really good with consistency, then we don't have to think about it down the road. And it just is something we do and something that just preps our body to get ready to be in that space again, that calm centered space again.
0: Okay, great. So being really consistent with it, kind of getting to know what's most helpful for you, practices to help you be in the present moment. I always um, recommend for people when they're really anxious to not try to self-guide meditation, but maybe use some guided relaxation because your mind tends to spin a lot when you're really
2: nervous. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would say, I'm, I always tell people when we're starting off with meditations that you obviously, yeah, the guided meditations are going to be much more helpful. Um, you know, I've been meditating for 15 years, more than that. And I still use guided meditations. Um, because you're right, when you when we get caught up in our head, it's easy for our heads just to spin. Um, so to have somebody kind of pull you back and bring you back into yeah. the present moment can be really, really helpful. Another thing that I've that I do do with a lot of athletes and musicians are um, just imageries of their performance, right? So Uh some include that in a pre-performance routine, some don't, it depends on the person, but um, kind of walking yourself, you you go to your performance in your mind before you're there, right? Uh And so when you are then on stage, you're like, oh, this is a little more comfortable. I've been here before in my mind, right? So some include like a little two-minute imagery in their pre-performance routine um, to be really helpful. Others, others don't. Again, it depends on the person.
0: So something that a lot of musicians, I think, encounter and maybe even feel challenged by is that usually they're performing in a venue where there's beer around or alcohol, maybe a lot of people are around them. Maybe there's a little green room they could escape to if they prefer to be by themselves, but what's your feeling on having some beers? Do you recommend it? Do you not recommend a lot of people use that to tame their anxiety, but what are your, what are your thoughts on the a of that? Yeah,
2: <laughs> That's a great question. Um, you know, my initial, my initial reaction to that is no, let's stay away because that's actually um, like helping you avoid this things The anxiety piece, uh-huh. right. That's self medication, which, for some people, not so bad, but if we're wanting to really work with this anxiety, then trying to eliminate it like that is not going to be so helpful, right? Um, so I guess, gosh, it, I, I hate to say it, but it's like, it depends, I guess, you know, the like, typical psychologist response, it depends. But my initial reaction would be say, let's stay away from it. Let's like allow yourself to really feel so then you can actually really achieve and um, work towards the potential that you have there, those expectations.
0: Yeah, I, I endorse that view as well. Um, wow, this is, this has been really great. This has been really chock full of information. Um, thank you so much for your time today. If somebody wanted to work with you, I know that you're really busy, but, um, if they wanted to reach out to you, is there a place they could find you?
2: I appreciate that. Yeah, I am super busy. I'm actually booked out through June, but if they, if anybody has any questions, you're happy to e- welcome to email me, but I do have a website. It's just my name, clairecubisa.com. Um, you can go check out my background, um, my bio or whatever, or my email or my phone numbers on there as well. But, uh, yeah, anybody can reach out that way.
0: Thank you so much. I'm going to put, um, you know, a lot of the resources that we discussed, I'll put those in the show notes. So anybody who's curious about, Um, The chart uh, Dr. Cabisa was referring to, uh, the SMART goals, those kinds of things. Um, I'll put some resources in the show notes for any listeners. And
2: Yeah, I'll send you a link uh, or even PDFs of those things. I do have a PDF um, worksheet um, on SMART goals so somebody can actually sit down and kind of like work through them to help kind of be more concrete with their goals and expectations um, that people can have access to.
0: That would be great. Thank you so, so much for your time today.
2: Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks for uh, for reaching out and having me. All right.
0: Okay, I want to thank Dr. Kubisa for all of the information. There's so much there. If you want to go back and go over the transcript or get some of the resources that we talked about in the show, visit musictherapypodcast.com. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a review. All of that helps to get the word out. This is all about helping musicians to do their thing and feel confident doing it. I hope you guys are doing well. Music Therapy is hosted by Jessica Risker, produced by Sullivan Davis of Local Universe, and engineered by Joshua Wentz in Chicago. Hope you guys have a great week, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Peace and love until I see you again.